0: Welcome to the Sandbox. Hey, welcome to the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Dave. And today is episode 63, Abundant Life Now.
1: Yeah, so today we're talking about the idea of abundance. And part of the reason for this topic is because Chris and I, in our community, we've been looking into Celtic spirituality. It's a fascinating, expansive, and wide posture toward the world And we are really just starting to learn more about this.
0: Yeah, there's lots to explore for sure. And as we've been thinking about today's topic, a few words have come to the surface. Joy, generosity, delight. I think they help shape some of what we're talking about for today's episode.
1: There's this idea of abundance, of having enough, of being enough, that seems to run contrary to a lot of what we hear in the world. And we wanted to dig into that just a little bit more. A lot of religious traditions, and especially, but not exclusively, Christian, teach that you are lacking somehow. You are a sinner. You are not enough. And for some, the idea that humans exist in a condition of total depravity is a pretty central tenet to their faith tradition. In other words, you are hopeless unless you get the correct information. You better get what I've got or you're going to suffer and burn. Celtic spirituality, by contrast, teaches that you already have it. You already have it. You already have what you need. And perhaps the job of a pastor, a leader, a community is to help bring that to the forefront, to help bring your gift and strength to the fore so that you can share it abundantly rather than coming from a place of lacking or, or scarcity. Which leads me to a question, Chris. Could you imagine if we all operated from a place of sharing freely of all of the good stuff we have rather than deficiency and just taking, taking, taking?
0: Yeah, I think about that a lot, actually. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I often wonder, you know, what would it be like if our neighborhoods, our, our cities, our, our communities just would help empower people a little differently? I think we live in a, a very different place than we do now yeah, in a lot it of ways. Yeah, would
1: be a complete game changer, right?
0: Yeah. But I think, you know, when we give reasons for not living that sort of life, when we kind of find our ways to not enter into that a little bit more, I don't think it's because we don't want to. I don't think it's because, um, you know, people don't want the best for others. I I think that a lot of us actually believe that if we eventually get the right thing or get the right amount of the right thing, or we get enough uh, power or get the right situation or land the right job, Mm -hmm. that we'll finally be happy. And when we think that so deeply, it's really hard, I think, to imagine something different. Yeah. It's like, if only them... Right. Exactly. So I think, so many of our listeners are probably familiar with the work of, of Peter Rollins. If you're not go ahead and check out episode 18, we had a chance to talk to him. One of my favorite episodes. Brilliant. Great time, dude. Uh, but anyway, so Pete wrote a book called the divine magician and at the risk of totally oversimplifying, he talks about how Christianity can be seen like a magic trick with three parts. So first is the pledge where the magician shows you an object and then the turn where the object disappears. And finally the prestige where the object reappears. But just like a magic trick uh, in religion, the object that reappears isn't really the same as the original object. It's sort of an illusion. He's saying a lot in this book and in this image, but in part what he's saying is that much of religion tells us that there's this object, Mm -hmm. God, that can fix all the things that we need fixed. And so many of us go seeking that God or, or other things, looking for the right item, the right ideology, or the right understanding. But if his work is any indication, none of those things actually solve it. There isn't some external thing that you can acquire that's going to make you whole. Getting that job doesn't fix it. Um, It's the stuff of every marketing campaign to say, here's the thing you need, it'll fix it for you. But in so many cases, that just isn't true. The thing that can make all your problems go away doesn't actually exist. And it might be the wrong question.
1: But unfortunately, we need scarcity to sell deodorant and cell phones and gym memberships and to put butts in the seats of our churches. And, and like th- that's just for starters. Yeah. And we leverage scarcity to fund our bottom line and to perpetuate the myth that this gaping hole in your life won't be filled unless you buy what I'm selling. But the radical notion of abundance is that you know, we already have what we need in terms of value and, and self-worth brings something larger and to me, something more compelling to the table.
0: Exactly. Which is why I think it's helpful that we switch our perspective around a little bit. Abundance might not be about being rich and having all the stuff or even doing all the things. In fact, living a life of abundance might require giving up some things. When we were preparing for this episode uh, and to that point, I found this article that talked a little bit about the things that you should give up to be abundant. Uh, and I thought it was, it was really helpful. So here's a few of them. Mm. Uh, it said, you should give up your scarcity mentality. You should give up your lack of self-worth. You should give up old programming, this idea that your past determines your whole future. Give up resentment, give up guilt and shame, and give up the chase for money. Wait, what? kind <laughs> of
1: communist are you? Give up the chase for money? What's
0: going on here? It's just such a great framing of uh, the ability to, to become more abundant, to live more abundantly. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily, again, like we've been saying, it's not necessarily more things. Um, and maybe even too, more to my point, the article ends actually by saying this. Abundance is not something you can chase after. It's something you are, something you tune into. Yeah,
1: I love that. You know, maybe it's even a, a way of life. Mm-hmm. Like don't ask a fish how the water is. The fish would just say, what, water? You have weird fish. <laughs> it's, it's Dory, okay? <laughs> now, it, the, but the broader consumer-driven capitalist society is oriented toward what you lack, But the countercultural way of life is daring to be oriented toward being what you already are. And that's enough. The legendary author, Kurt Vonnegut Jr. told a story about going to a party with his friend, Joseph Heller, who is also a legendary author. He's the writer of the novel Catch-22. And they were going to a party thrown by a billionaire on Shelter Island in New York. Vonnegut said, Hey Joe, how does it make you feel that our host... Only Yesterday may have made more money than your novel Catch-22 has earned in its entire history. And then Joseph Heller said, I've got something he can never have. And Vonnegut asked, what on earth could that be? And Heller
0: answered, enough. The knowledge that I have, enough. Enough. Yeah. I love that story. And and when it comes to abundance, there's something for me also about uh, margins, about our ability to, to slow down and, and enjoy something, which I don't think you can do if you don't think you've got enough. Right. Um, I don't think we can really have a sense of abundance if everything is fast paced and, and overflowing and kind of more than we can handle. I actually learned that really the hard way over the last few years that we can't do everything. Um I'm I'm a hundred percent a sucker for personality tests and I know a lot of people are familiar with uh the strengths finder. Um when I've done those tests, my top strength almost always shows up as adaptability.
1: And that's a shocking thing. We'll just uh <laughs> all our road trips were based on this idea of adaptability. I said, Hey, let's go on a road trip to San Francisco. Okay, let's do it. And two weeks later we we're we're in San there Francisco that we, we were there and because we just dropped everything and went because you are completely
0: adaptable and you made up for my lack of adaptability. <laughs> so. Yeah. I mean, I didn't really have much else going on, I guess, or something. No. Uh, anyway, you know, un- unfortunately for me, that means I often get distracted by the next shiny thing. And I definitely have a tendency to bite off more than I can chew. Um, Just last year, and we've talked about this, last year I found Mm -hmm. myself working a full-time job, running a small music venue with some friends, uh, three shows a week, helping do digital media for a local soccer team and a handful of other things. And I loved every bit of that, but in combination, it really was just too much.
1: Yeah, you know, yeah. You were just telling me about a blog post that you saw something about this, right? I mean, this we were just talking about that yesterday. Yeah.
0: So uh, have you seen the the meme, all the things? It's like a cartoon character. She's like holding a broom. Right, right. Yeah. Um, so that's from the blog Hyperbole and a Half. Um, and there's this this one where the author, Ali Broche she talks about never being an adult because she can only handle like basically a certain amount of run- responsibility before everything comes crashing down. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's how I feel like a lot of the time. I'm going to find a <laughs> link to that and, and I'll throw it in the show notes for you, but- Anyway, all of the stuff that I was doing last year, it got me thinking about this idea that an abundant life might actually be a simpler one. Mm. I kept finding myself doing so many things that I wasn't actually doing any of them well right. <laughs> at all. Right. Um,
1: mile, mile wide and an inch deep. Exactly.
0: Right? And and so I, I think with that in mind, it is actually possible to fill your life with too many good things. And that was certainly true for m- me of where I spent my time you know, last year and the last couple of years in a lot of ways, but um, it can also be true of stuff. Our friend and sandbox guest,
1: Mark Scandrett often talks about an experiment he did a few years ago. He invited friends and acquaintances to do an experiment where they would sell or give away half of their possessions and donate the profits to global poverty relief. He called the project, Have Two, Give One. It was based on passages out of the Bible where it says, sell your possessions and give it to the poor. And another one that says, anyone who has two shirts would share with one who has none, and anyone who has food would do the same. Anyway, about 30 people signed up for this experiment, divesting of music, clothes, household items, jewelry, bikes, stuff that was collecting dust and was now feeding people, like literally feeding people. Thousands of dollars were redirected and community was grown and fostered. Not only did the people who received the money and donations experience abundance, just as profoundly those who participated in the experiment were transformed too. Some got out of debt, Others reconciled with their families. Some overcame addictions, and and many experienced a greater sense of identity and peace. Mark writes about the many firsts in these experiments. Sharing a meal with a homeless person. Writing a poem. Telling another person about a deep wound. Abundance, it takes many forms and is experienced in its fullest, not just by the one receiving, but oftentimes in the person who is giving.
0: Yeah, I love Mark's insight into these ideas. I, those books have just been been super helpful. Um, as you were as you were talking though, it reminded me of this group I discovered in Ashland, Oregon. Uh, they created what they called an abundance swap, and so it was this sort of kind of alternative to Black Friday shopping, where people would bring really good quality items from their house, but that they didn't need anymore, and give them away. Um, and then while they were there, they could also maybe take something, and they could use it for themselves, or they could give it away as a gift instead of instead of purchasing something. And um, just a really cool thing. And I, and I love what their website said too. Um, they said, don't just drop your stuff off, bring the present of your presence, stick around to visit, tell a story or two about what you brought to the person who wants it, which I just think is mm-hmm. kind of a cool framing of, of how you might offer those things up. But, you know, people like that, people are, all, are doing creative things like that all over the place.
1: Yeah. I really like that idea. Bring the present of your presence. How often are we sitting with somebody and we're just a million miles away. And this is just an intentionality toward being community, being with one another, and that that's a gift in in and of itself. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And for me, a lot of this, like when it comes to the stuff of of some of this idea of abundance, you know, it hits pretty close to home. And it's something that uh, my wife and I have been practicing quite a bit. I I like to think of us as aspiring minimalists.
1: Um, (laughs) (laughs) Aspiring minimalists. I love that. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Anyway, so we have a house that's uh, much bigger than the two of us need because we love hosting others. Um, we often have friends over to our place. Um, we have people stay with us as they're traveling through town, those sorts of things. But, um, we've also been doing some serious cleaning. We're get, getting rid of stuff that we don't need because it's really easy to fill up a house with stuff.
1: Bigger barn, more hay, right? Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. So this weekend, um, you know, just like over the last couple of days, uh, I spent a ton of time cleaning out our garage. We've lived in this house for about five years now. Um, it's the one part of a house that has never really been cleaned out. Like from the time that we moved in, we just kind sure. of kept accumulating. Uh, and a few years ago, before my grandpa passed away, he gave me a, a ton of tools and other things that inevitably will live in the garage. Uh, we hadn't gotten around to, to organizing anything. And it actually got so bad that we literally could not find a screwdriver. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not kidding about that. I, It was probably the third to last box that I opened up that had screwdrivers in it. It wow. was ridiculous. Wow. I,
1: I, I just find those at the local bar. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, the other kind. But anyway, so when we went through all this stuff this weekend though, it reminded me of some really great memories of my, of my grandpa and actually of my whole family. But I think the striking thing is that even after cleaning out and getting rid of a ton of stuff, I still have lots of items that were his mm. and that I'll get to use. And when I use, I'll get to remember him. Um, but it's a good reminder for me that at some point, whether it's physical things or ideas or maybe events that frustrate us, at some point we realize that certain things just aren't as important as we might have thought.
1: So I heard this song a few years back.
0: pretend I didn't yet Cause my give damn is broken and my care about is gone if I wanted to write, left last night, left me all alone Nothing but my don't know why my where did I go wrong? Well I've got a spare I don't care to use when this one's gone but she
1: left on I'm no fan of country music. Like at all, not a fan of country music. But that there is gold. It's pretty good. Yeah. My give a damn is broken and my care about it is gone. It's expansive generosity, as I see it, is somehow connected to being able to focus on the most important things and letting the other stuff just roll off of you. Think about it. In your life, what are the most important things? Family, friends, kids, community, whatever. You fill in the blank. What are the most important things? You want what's best for all of that. You put your care and your concern there, and you will live generously for whatever and whoever sits on your list. But it's more than just that. If you are fretting about the details that, at the end of the day, don't really matter, won't make the world a better place, won't make life sweeter for the ones you love, won't make, won't even move the needle on things of real consequence, then why are you losing your mind about the guy who's driving slow in the passing lane, right? (laughs) A broken give a damn will make you a more gracious and generous person to that guy too. Don't sweat the petty things. Don't pet the sweaty things. And maybe a broken give a damn can crack open a more generous view of the universe.
0: You know, I've been behind that guy driving slow. I've also been that guy, but I've been (laughs) behind that guy driving slow on good days and bad days. And on a good day, you know, maybe the weather is nice outside like today and listening to some great music, enjoying Mm -hmm. life. I tend not to care all that much. But I think it's possible that we're least living in abundance when we're stressed. And on those bad days, that guy just needs to get the heck out of your way, right? I mean, doesn't he know that you
1: have to do all of the things like you were talking about before? Doesn't he, he know that you have places to be, things to do? Doesn't he know that you are like the most important person around?
0: So <laughs> So I don't think we've talked about the Enneagram on this podcast much, a oh, way to uh, change the subject. But I'm a five, and for fives, everything is a problem to be solved. So we work on a problem until we solve it or until we realize it can't be solved and finally move on.
1: Which I'm always moving on because I'm a seven, and I'm chasing all of the shiny
0: things.: Yeah, the seven is a little bit like my adaptability and strengths finder. There's always a new, exciting.
1: And that gets us in trouble every time. You're, <laughs> Between the two of us. You're, you're adaptable and I'm chasing shiny things and now we're really in trouble.
0: Oh, yeah. It can it can be dangerous. But for me, being a five is why like every time somebody asks me if something's possible on a computer or they don't know how to do something, if I don't immediately know, I will do Google search after Google search looking for a way to do it. Um, and it... <laughs> I mean, at its best, it actually helps me come up with some creative solutions where other people get stuck, sure, but it's got sure. its downsides sometimes. Stuck? I don't even know what that is. I,
1: I start <laughs> to feel a little stuck.
0: I just go to the next thing. I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah. That's um, because
1: I am a seven. That's true.
0: That's true. <laughs> um, but for me, being a five means I can live in my head a bit too much. And so when I'm there, I can be super serious and laser focused and I place way too much control on the outcome. I'm way too concerned about that guy driving slow in front of me. Mm-hmm. Um And so for me, living more abundantly means to actually give up some of that control uh, and realize in the grand scheme of things, there's a lot that doesn't matter. So for me, a posture of abundance helps kind of straighten out and provide a bit more balance between kind of finding solutions and, and figuring out when to move on. I think it helps me place the right amount of importance on the things around me. Yeah. You know, and
1: if we practice an abundant way of being and we care less about the trivial things, we might just have the ability to care about the stuff that really matters, that actually matters, the stuff that affects the lives of our neighbors. If we believe that we can live abundantly now, today, you know, what might that mean for our community?
0: Right. It's a great question. I mean, what, what skills do you have? What things do you have that you could share? What insights do you have for the problem that's in front of us? I mean, the reality is that if we're thinking abundantly, that we should see that there are likely things we have that others need. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think when we see that we have enough, it's a lot easier to ask questions about how we can provide for those needs. Um, I remember a few years ago uh, during the last presidential cycle, I was watching one of the Republican debates. I think it was uh, maybe right before the primaries. I think it was maybe the New Hampshire debate. Mm -hmm. But I was struck by something that that John Kasich said uh, because it was the first time that I had heard someone frame the kind of the question so plainly. Um, While I find myself maybe far removed from him, I think, in some ways, in terms of the particular political issues, I heard him say something really important in the way he talked about how a growing economy should be used to provide opportunities for those who are on, on the margins. I heard him raising the questions, you know, what's the, what's the point of a growing economy? What do we do with economic growth? Mm. Um, I think it's important because when we think about abundance and when we think about, you know, when it comes to things like our money and our resources – I think the point is that when we have more, there's more to share and there's more that we can provide for, for those who need. You know? Yeah. And that
1: reminds me of something all the way back that we talked about all the way back in episode four of episode the podcast. Four, I'm, I'm pulling deep on this one, <laughs> but episode four of the podcast, I talked about Joey Chestnut. First of all,
0: That's the best name It's the
1: great name. Joey Chestnut, the hot dog eating champion. This is the guy that eats 70 hot dogs and buns and crushes the competition. (laughs) And the other day, in a moment of sheer weakness and gluttony, I ate three hot dogs. (laughs) Like three. And I thought I was going to die. That's three too many. Yeah, well... I'll part ways with you on that one because a good hot dog is is hard to beat. But my 17-year-old self absolutely scoffs at that. But this guy, he ate 70 hot dogs and buns all by himself. That's so gross. (laughs) That could conservatively feed 20 to 30 people. And to me, that is the perfect illustration of what is happening to us at a global scale. Thinking globally and really beyond hot dogs – we don't have a problem with food. There is enough food to feed the whole world. We don't, have, we don't have a problem with production, but we have a fundamental problem with distribution. That's why we can have hot dog eating contest champions being celebrated for pounding down 70 hot dogs and buns while people are going to bed hungry at night. That's why our food waste is off the charts in this country while one in nine children is experiencing food insecurity. In our communities and in our national dialogue, too often we come at problems like hunger from a position of total scarcity. When the truth of the matter is that we have an abundant supply of food and
0: resources, but we need to have an equally abundant spirit and will to share it. Yeah, and you know, it's just, it's not just about food. Um, I was looking this up. The United States is the number one consumer market in the world, which means that we spend and, and buy more than any other country on the planet, which in itself is interesting mm-hmm. and, and kind of crazy. But the, the real kicker is that our market, so the, the total amount that we spend, is about three times bigger than China. And China is a country that has f- more than four times our population. Oh. There are a, a lot of reasons why we're such a highly consumer-driven society. I actually just learned about the market revolution where our kind of our economy shifted from one where we'd individually sell a product that we made and we'd try to sell it for a fair price, to one where we work for a wage. And th- that, along with a number of others in our history, we've had some significant societal turns that have moved us culturally from producers into more consumers. But that's why I love the way that, that people are rethinking our economy and money and how they're used. So our friends, Heatherlyn and Jason come to mind. Um, mm-hmm. We've had them on the podcast a number of times. They talk a lot about, about this as gift economy. This idea that instead of buying a product or service for someone as a transaction, it's more relational. It's just one of those ways of rethinking some of the questions that maybe can help us see better ways to use the abundance of resources that many of us do have.
1: Yeah, and how we put a value on resources is hard enough, but there is also a disturbing shift in how we are valuing ourselves. I heard Rob Bell, our, our guest from episode 35, talk about this on his podcast recently. He pointed out that we live in a world where the meta Metric for success, worth, and value is how many likes did I get? How many views, retweets, comments? And it lends itself to a subtle but strong, twisted message that I am not doing anything of significance unless it is affirmed by the nameless, faceless digital masses. It's easy to lose sight of what is truly significant, what is really valuable. I suspect true value doesn't live in 140 characters or the number of likes your picture of lunch cats or, you know, you get the idea. Living an abundant life might mean putting down the device and enjoying that sunset, eating that beautiful lunch, savoring the moment with your kid, and not judging the value of any of, of, any of it through social media filter. Being present in the moment, truly all in present in the moment
0: may be the most generous and abundant way of living. We talked a bit in this episode about some of the insight from our friend Mark Scandrett, and I think some words from his book, Free, might be a good place to land this episode. When you woke up this morning, chances are you slept on a comfortable bed. There was breakfast to eat and perhaps a glass of juice or a good cup of coffee or tea to sip. You put clean clothes on. Odds are that you are reasonably safe, and that two or more meals and a few snacks are still ahead of you today. For most of us, this is the way that it has been nearly every day of our lives. We see evidence of the Creator's care and provision all around us. We hear the birds singing in the morning. The sun rises, rain falls to water the earth, and year after year, plants grow that provide oxygen and food for our bodies, and not just calories, but tasty morsels that excite the palate. We are not only provided for, but lavished with good gifts to enjoy. Companionship, meaningful work, music, the beauty of nature and cultures, the good sensations of movement, walking, running, swimming, dancing creativity, the joy of sexuality and a sense of destiny and yearning for the divine mystery. Life itself, every day, is a gift that ancient voices described as the breath of God. There is something enchanting, sacred, and deeply good about being alive, if we'll only pause to breathe, look, and see. We embrace the abundance of life, by learning to practice gratitude and trust. So with all of this in mind, what would it look like for you to live more and more in abundance? At home, at work, at school, in your community? What would it look like to embrace the abundance of life practicing gratitude and trust?
1: Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. Before we close out today's episode, we want to make sure that you know a few more of the exciting things that are coming up for us on Sandbox this summer.
0: Yeah. One of the big things, we're going to be in Houston for the National Youth Gathering, Uh, 30,000 plus kids and adult leaders uh, going a little crazy in Houston. Texas. And I we're going to really gonna, can't wait to be it's there. It's going to be a lot of fun. So we're going to be in the convention center. If you are uh, going to be there as well, uh, stop by and say hi.
1: And actually we always say there's always more room in the sandbox. We're going to have four sandboxes there Yeah, and people building actual things in our sandboxes. So if you'd like to build a sculpture in the sandbox of Chris and his beard,
0: (laughs) which would be fantastic. We'd love to see you there. Yeah, absolutely. We're also going to be heading down to, prior to that, we're going to be heading down and trying to make a couple stops in the Southwest. We're going to start off in Albuquerque connecting with Richard Rohr. Yeah,
1: Richard Rohr, the Richard Rohr from the Center for Action and Contemplation. And His work has been so influential, not only for us, but just for countless people around the country, around the world. And just the opportunity to learn from Richard, uh, Father Richard Rohr in person, will just be uh, kind of a dream come true.
0: Absolutely. We can't wait. And we're excited to share all of that good stuff with you. So thanks for listening today. And if you want to stay up to date with all the things that are going on in the sandbox and join us in this conversation, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter or sign up for our mailing list at sandboxcooperative.com.
1: We'd love to hear from you. So let us know what you think about the podcast. And if you'd like, rate and review us on iTunes and anywhere else you're finding the podcast. This lets us know that you're enjoying what you hear, but it also helps us to find others and extend
0: the conversation. And as always, be sure to share this podcast with someone who might like it, because there's always more room in the sandbox.
1: Until next time, we'll see ya.
0: Bye. Please watch your step as you exit the sandbox.